Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. The last few weeks we've been really going through Acts chapters 1 and 2 and looking at a church that has been empowered. We've been looking at that whole issue of empowerment for our lives. And I'm going to be honest with you, it really isn't an option for us as a Christian. It's not something that we can just sit there and say, well, you know, I don't really think I need to worry about that aspect. I'm, I'm saved. I'm just going to go on and do what I'm doing. I've been serving him all these years. In fact, that stuff George is talking about maybe seems a little weird. But actually it isn't. Actually, the whole issue of empowerment by his spirit is actually commanded. In Ephesians, the Apostle Paul says, Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. In other places, he tells you not to quench the spirit or grieve the spirit. The spirit is to have a significant role in your life. He is to empower you. In fact, the reason why we are not effective in our witness to others, especially our family members, the reason why we are not what we should be and living the way that we are, knowing that we shouldn't live that way, is because we're not empowered. We're not the people that God wants us to be. And he's calling us to something so much more than what we're living, so much more than what we have. And listen, let me me ask you this. I mean, this is a good question. I mean, when you look at your life, let's be honest. Let's just look at our lives for a moment. As I look at my life, as you look at your life, something within you has got to be saying, there's got to be something so much more with you, Jesus. There's got to be something so much more than what I'm living right now. I mean, when you think about what he said, he said, I've come that they may have life and they may have life more abundantly. There's got to be something more than just the normal routine with Christ. There has to be. Because he's talked about it. And, and you know what, here's the thing. We've grown so used to the complacency. We've grown so used to the self-sufficiency that we really, we don't know any different. We just expect it to be the way it is. And we, we live with hope. We hope he'll answer us. We hope he'll do something so much more. We hope for something better. Because we don't really expect anything anymore. Oh, we're saved. We're hoping that that's true. But really, that's not the life Jesus came to give us. In fact, in John 17, in his high priestly prayer, he said, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, and the one, me, and the one who sent me, which is you. Eternal life is knowing God as a very important part of your everyday life. And there needs to be a sense in which we really need to get desperate for God. In fact, that's what we're going to talk about today, is a group of people who woke up, whose eyes were opened. They had gathered in Jerusalem to, for the Feast of Pentecost, another religious exercise. They weren't expecting anything different than what's normal. I mean, they come to Jerusalem all the time for festivals and feasts, to celebrate and to mark things that are listed in the Scriptures. But on that day, something amazing happened. There were these group of Galileans who broke out of this room on fire, praising God and 
miraculously speaking in other languages and people are wondering, wow, what's going on? And some people are saying, wow, I'm really interested in what's happening. And, and the others are saying, well, they must be drunk. And then this one guy stands up, Peter, and he gives an explanation for what's going on. And he explains to them that what's happening is a fulfillment of a promise. And then he explains to them about Jesus, about who he is, and about their responsibility in his crucifixion. And what we're going to look at today is really how they responded to it. So look with me. We're going to look at verse 37 through 41. We're just going to look at five verses today. But there's so much there that you and I need to think about, especially as we wrap up our series on the issue of empowerment. Because these are things that you're going to have to struggle with, you're going to have to wrestle with, and you're going to have to decide, am I desperate for him? Am I wanting so much more for my life? Listen to what he writes. Listen to what Luke writes as he records the events of that day. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. But those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. What we're going to see, first of all, is their desperation. We're going to see a group of people, they're listening to him, they came just for a regular festival time, and they hear the word of God being preached, and they respond to it. And how they respond to it is in desperation. And listen, I want you to understand something. Well, let me give you the first point, and I'll, I'll explain to you what I'm talking about. The first thing I want you to see is this, their hearts were broken. When you read that verse and it says that they were cut to the heart, the words there literally mean, first of all, the actual meaning of the word is that they were violently stuck with a sharp stick. It was an agrarian culture. And how they herded cattle was, was like with a goad. You remember when Jesus spoke to Paul and said it's hard to kick against the goads? The goads were a sharp stick. And that meaning there of them being cut to the heart is, is that they were violently struck in their heart. The other meaning of the word is, is that their hearts were broken. They had broken hearts. Let me just stop for a moment. I need you to understand something. The key characteristic of a Christian from the Bible's viewpoint is a person with a broken heart. It's a person with a broken heart. It's not somebody who's sure of themselves. It's not somebody who's got their act together. It's not somebody who's in control. That's not the issue. The issue is, actually, that reflects something else. And I'll talk about that in a moment. The issue is, is for a Christian, they have a broken heart before God. Because they realize who they are. They realize that they're messed up. And they realized their need for Jesus. Now listen, I want you to explain something to you. These were good religious folks. They had come to Jerusalem for the feast, for the festival. They had come doing their religious activity. And Peter talks to them about Jesus and talks to them about their responsibility in his death. And they are immediately cut to the heart. They are immediately broken in their spirits because they realize, yes, we are responsible. 
I mean, just stop for a moment. You say, well, you mean the key characteristic that I'm supposed to have in my life is brokenness? Yes, because you're responsible. I'm responsible for Jesus' death. Hebrews makes it very clear that every time I sin, I what? Crucify him afresh. Do you realize there should be a brokenness in our lives because the fact when we do wrong, our wrong put him on the cross? You say, I wasn't there. That happened 2,000 years ago, George. Doesn't matter. He died for all the sins. He died for their sins and our sins. When you and I sin, it's as if we are grabbing a hammer and nailing them. Those hands, those precious hands, those precious feet to the cross. It's as if we are lifting up the cross and thrusting it into the ground. It's as if we are taking the spear and thrusting it into our side. When you and I sin, and you know what? When you and I sin with our little sins... The pet sins that we have that we've made excuses for. See, the key characteristic of the Christian life is brokenness. Realizing, I shouldn't even be saved. Their hearts were cut. Violently cut. I mean, they were struck hard with the reality of what they're doing. But you see, here's the thing. Why were their hearts needing to be cut? Because they had been hardened. Listen, it's so easy for you and I as Christians, and as I was going through this passage, I had to examine my own life. And realize, am I living brokenness? Or is my heart hardened? And I came up with a list of things that harden our heart. Listen to this. These are some things that harden our heart. And maybe you need to sit there and listen to these things. First of all, the first thing that hardens our heart is pride. Pride in ourselves. Pride. Don't need to explain that one. Everybody understands exactly what that means. That is an attitude that says, I am better than everyone else. That is the attitude of the Pharisee who who went to the temple and who looked behind him and saw the text collector. And here's what he said, Jesus, I'm glad I'm not like everybody else. I do all this stuff for you. And I pray and I die. That's pride. The other one is self-righteousness. I heard this this week. I was listening to a speaker from Seattle, Washington. And he made a profound point that just struck me and it just laid me open bare. He said, in the church today, we look at the sins of the lost and we focus on their sins and about how bad their sins are. But he said, you know what the sin of the church is? Self-righteousness. When I heard that, I was just undone. I was like, yeah, he's right. Because we got Jesus and we got the Word of God and we come to church and we live holy lives... We think we're better than everybody else. And again, I'm just like that Pharisee. Just like that Pharisee, thinking that I'm better than everybody else. And that just hardens your heart to the reality of the cross. And it hardens your heart to the reality of what Jesus did for you. Self-righteousness. Here's another one. Lack of forgiveness. Lack of forgiveness. You know, the older you get, the more people are going to hurt you. Isn't that right? I mean, everybody here, somebody has hurt you, haven't they? And, and you know what, the, the big thing is, listen to me, the big thing is that we don't forget. They talk about elephants. You ever heard that one, elephants don't forget? How I many of you have seen that commercial where that kid's taunting the elephant, you know, and wanting to offer him a piece of candy, and then years later he's in a parade and the elephant walks by and bops him, takes the candy from him, and they talk about elephants don't forget? Elephants ain't got nothing on us. We don't forget because we don't forgive. When you have a lack of forgiveness in your heart, you are hardened to God. You're hardened. You can't have a lack of forgiveness in your heart and be right with God. There's no way. None. 
None. A lack of forgiveness. Here's the other one. Indifference to personal sin. Well, I'm glad I'm not like them. Boy, did you hear about that guy over there? Did you hear what he did? And you're doing something yourself. You're gossiping while you're saying it. We're indifferent to our own sins. We make excuses for our sins. That's just my personality. That's just my little personality quirk. That's just my little hang-up. That's just my little thing. Well, then we condemn other people. In fact, we condemn people for stuff that we may be doing secretly. We make excuses. Oh, I'm just growing. Jesus ain't done with me yet. But yeah, we're expecting him to be done with everybody else, though. Our hearts are hardened. Here, here's some other ones. Listen, I mean, I, as I thought about this, spiritual blindness kind of fits with the others. Pride, self-righteousness leads to spiritual blindness, where you think you've arrived and you don't even realize how naked and wretched you are, Jesus says to the church at Laodicea. Spiritual blindness. Here's another one. Prejudice. Where you've got an attitude towards a group of people for some unknown reason, you've got this attitude towards them, and it could be any number of things. Number one, you don't like them because they're on relief. Or you don't like them because they're in management. You don't like them because of where they live in town. You don't like them because of their struggle in life. You don't like them because of their skin color. And all of that will harden your heart to God. If you've got prejudice of any kind, maybe you don't like people because they're not from here. That's a hard heart. We're not here. We're here as a church to bring people to Christ. Not to have attitudes towards them. That's a hard heart. Our lives are need to be marked by brokenness. Because we realize, I don't even deserve to be saved. I don't deserve to call on the name of Christ. Prejudice. Here's another one. Self-sufficiency. God gave me a brain. He gave me a wallet. He gave me strength. I can do it. Yeah, but how often are we proved wrong? How often does he have to show us that we can't do it? But see, all that results in a hardened heart. See, that's, you know, that's typical. You say, you brought all that up from this one passage? Yeah, because I thought about the Jews of that day. They were prejudiced. They were self-sufficient. They were self-righteous. They lacked forgiveness. But you know what? I can't pick on the Jews because you know what? When I read the passage and I considered who they were, I thought I was looking at myself. And the reality is, is that they were cut to their heart because of who they are. Brokenness is the opposite of a hard heart. And that's the key characteristics of what we need to be. We need to be broken. And here's the other thing I want you to see, is when they were cut to the heart, when they were broken, they cried out in desperation. Listen to their cry, because you could just miss it. Listen to their cry. Listen to what they said. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Listen, if we truly examine our lives, if we truly examine our lives, and we realize who we really are, let's quit putting on airs about it. Let's realize who we really are, because we can play games with ourselves. Our hearts are so wicked, we can think we're doing okay. But let's really talk about who we are, really are. If we really look at who we are, and we look at our self-righteousness, and we look at our self-sufficiency, and we look at our prejudice, and every one of us here are prejudiced. There's somebody you've got an attitude to. Don't tell me you don't have any prejudices. All I've got to do is hang out with you all day, and it will be revealed who you've got an attitude to. You may have an attitude to people who are driving Chevys. Period. You've got an attitude towards somebody, some group of people, and let them explain something to you. We make ourselves feel better by having attitudes towards them. But the fact of the matter is when we look at who we really are, 
it will break you. And then you will cry out desperately. This is what their desperation was. They cried out with desperation. God, what can I do? I'm a mess. I'm a mess, Lord. Listen, don't you sit here. Don't I sit here and preach to you. Don't you sit there and listen to me and say, I got my act together. I'm okay. If you do, that's your first revelation that you aren't right. Because none of us are right. And all of us need to be desperate for God because if it wasn't for Him, if it wasn't for Him, you wouldn't be where you're at. You wouldn't be where you're at. And they cried out in desperation. Desperation. You know what? That's really, we need to be desperate people, desperate for God in our midst. But we get so used to it, don't we? Where we don't see His hand in our lives every day. Where we don't see Him working. We just get used to it. It's like, oh, well, I hear God's working over there. Wow, wonderful. I guess, boy, isn't that great that He's working in their lives? But that's unusual. Man, have we robbed ourselves. Where we live our lives daily without any expectation of God doing anything. When you went to that early church, and we're going to see it as we continue on in Acts, they live with an expectation of God doing something. You came in here today. And the reality is, you probably came for just another service with no expectation of God doing anything. Because that's the way we live, isn't it? Isn't it? But these people were desperate. They were desperate for God to show up in their lives and do something. They wanted to know what they could do. So I want you to notice Peter's direction. Here's what Peter tells them to do. Look with me at verse 38 through 39. Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. What's the first thing he tells them? It's one little word that we just ignore. And the one little word is repent. So what does it mean? It means this. They must acknowledge and turn from their sin. You and I, here's the thing. It's going to take brokenness for us to do that. Brokenness is the key factor before repentance. You can't repent if you're self-righteous because you don't have anything to repent of. You can't repent if you are self-sufficient because you've got it all under control anyhow. You can't repent if you're prejudiced because... I can't do that. I'll be like those other people who I don't like. You can't repent if your heart is hardened. Because it takes brokenness to realize where you're truly at. And when you're broken, you can say to Him, Lord, I'm messing up. I'm not where I should be. I need to be somewhere else. God, help me to turn from it. See, what we do is confess. But repentance is going one step further than confession. Oh, we'll go to him and say, God, forgive me. And we won't even tell him specifically, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. Forgive me for my sins, Jesus. What does that mean? You get in a squabble with your honey, and you go to her or him and say, forgive me, I did you wrong. That ain't going to be enough, is it? They want to hear, forgive me, I was a jerk. I shouldn't have said what I said, or I shouldn't have did what I did. See, that's what we do with God is we give Him these mamsy-pamsy confessions. God doesn't call us to confession. God calls us to repentance where we go to Him and we say to Him, Lord, I did what you saw me do and I'm sick of it, Lord. I want to turn from it. I need your help to turn from it. That's what He's saying to them. Repent. Acknowledge your sin. He goes on and He says one other thing here. He goes one step further 
And this is, this is the key point. And you say, no, what, what do you mean it's a key point? He tells him to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And you say, well, I've already been baptized. What's the issue there? Uh-uh, wait a minute, there's one more issue here. They must publicly identify themselves with Christ. Let me just stop for a moment. We have lost baptism in the meaning of it in our churches today, especially in North America. When we baptize people, we'll have, in fact, some of you, I baptize some of you, we'll have a baptismal service, and, and who's here? Who's here when we baptize? Christians. In fact, you can be baptized here, and nobody else in town will know you'll be baptized. You can do it in secret. And you'll be surprised. I have some people who even say to me, Pastor, I want to be baptized, but can we do it secretly, not even with the people from the church seeing? And I've got to tell them, no. That ain't what baptism is. Baptism is a public identification. So he's saying to these Jews, look, you want to know what you need to do? You need to, first of all, repent. You need to acknowledge your sin. You need to turn from it. And you need to publicly identify yourself with this same Jesus. My friends, he's calling us to identify ourselves. How many of us live secret lives? We downplay our Christianity. We downplay our church. We downplay the fact that we believe. In fact, we cringe. How many of you? I cringe sometimes. We cringe at the Holy Joe at work who's talking the Bible stuff, and we just kind of wish we could fade into the woodwork. Kind of, kind of, can I, can I just blend into the wall here? And when you're my size, you can't blend in, you know. Can I just blend in? How, can I, can, boss, give me something to get me out of the room. And he's calling us to something so much more. It's, it's time for us to quit being ashamed. He says to them, you're desperate for me? Then start claiming me. Start publicly confessing me to people. Quit living in secret. Turn from your sin and acknowledge me in your life. And for them it was the issue of baptism. But see, you're here, you're baptized. But you know what? You're not living like you're baptized. People might even be shocked to know, unless they listen to your radio, but then maybe you don't listen to radio. He's calling them to publicly confess who, they, who he is. The other thing is this. He tells them that they will receive the Holy Spirit. They will receive the Holy Spirit. They need to receive the Holy Spirit. They, and, and you say, well, I've, I've received Him when I got saved. Yes, you did. He's your seal to the day that you're redeemed. But the fact of the matter is you don't live like it. He's not in control of you. You're just doing your own thing. In fact, we've gone so long without acknowledging the Holy Spirit in our kind of churches because we're scared that something weird is going to happen. Nothing weird is going to happen except that maybe your life may change. He said, you received the promise of the Holy Spirit. The other thing and final thing he tells them is this. We see it in verse 40, is that they had a choice to make. They had a choice to make. Look at what he says to them. With many other exhortations, the scripture says, but with many words he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. He, they had a choice to make. They had a choice to make concerning their life and how they were going to live their life. They had a choice to make whether to continue doing what the world's doing and living the way the world's telling them to live or to make a choice and do what Jesus is telling them to do. Let me tell you, that's a big real choice that you and I have to make. Let me explain something to you. It's almost gotten kind of old. You know, in all the pastoral things that I read and, and stuff, poll after poll, statistic after statistic... You know, I mean, I've told you this before, but I'll tell you again. You Maybe you're sick of hearing it. The only difference between the way we live our lives and the way the people who don't go to church live their lives is that we come here. We come here. One other thing, we're self-righteous. In fact, statistics show this. 
We will cheat on our boss just as much as anybody else cheats on their boss. We will lie on our taxes just as much as anybody else lies on their taxes. We will commit adultery just as much as anybody else will. In fact, there may be somebody here right now that's doing that. Christians view as much online pornography, men and women, as the unsaved people do. In the room this size, there is probably somebody here struggling with that sin. Period. We drink just as much. Some of you have an alcohol problem, but you're here. We abuse our families just as much. Some of you are abusing your families, but you're here. And you're okay because you've got Jesus. I could go on and on. But we will sit here with our self-righteousness and have attitudes towards people who don't know Jesus, but we do the same thing except we come to church. We claim the name of Jesus. I got saved. I'm okay. We got a choice to make. Peter says, be safe from this perverse generation. Make a choice to live differently. We got a choice to make. You say, well, I'm not doing those things, George. Fine. You're at Pizza Hut. Your waiter doesn't come by for 40 minutes to give you a refill. How are you treating them? You know, this is a small enough town. They know who goes to church. And especially if you've got a Jesus Loves You bumper sticker on. We've got a choice to make. But you know what? It takes brokenness. It takes desperation, realizing, God, I, I, I need you. I'm not who I should be. Let me wrap it up with this. A couple things. Number one, ask yourself this question. The reason why we are not empowered as a people in our individual lives and the reason why we are not empowered as a church to do the mission of Jesus Christ, to proclaim His good news to a world that's dying around us, is because His people aren't right. It's not because of them. Listen, let me explain something to you. They're doing what they're doing because they need Jesus. What's your excuse? So here's the question. What's the condition of your heart? Oh, and be so careful when you examine it, because Proverbs tells us very, very wisely, Proverbs tells us, our hearts are deceitfully wicked. Who can understand them? What's the condition of your heart? Let me kind of go back to that list again of the things. Is it hardened? Listen, are you struggling with pride? Are you self-righteous? Is there a lack of forgiveness here? Is there somebody you're not forgiving? Is there an indifference to personal sin? Have you made enough excuses about your little pet sins? Are you blind, spiritually blind? Are you prejudiced? Are you self-sufficient? What is the condition of your heart? And listen, as I'm, as you're saying you're being awfully hard today. Well, sometimes, you know what, here's the thing. Peter was hard with them, and he had to be because, obviously, for them to be cut to their heart, I mean, literally, violently cut to the heart is what the passage brings out. It's going to take something to jar us, isn't it? Because it's only when you're jarred did you realize how much you need Jesus. And so let me ask you this next question. Are you desperate for God? Are you? My hope is, as you are, my hope is, is that you would say, I am sick of it, George. I'm tired of living this way. I want to see more of Jesus in my life. I want to see more of the reality of Christ. I want to be all that He wants me to be. I am tired of the same old, same old, the same old defeat, the same old struggle. I want something more. Are you desperate for Him? And then my final point is for you who are desperate. Because if you're not desperate, there's nothing I can do for you. So I pray for you and hope that God would turn you and hope that God would open your eyes. Seek His empowerment for your life and witness. We've got to move beyond 
It's time for us to move beyond, isn't it? May God help us do it. Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week. <laughs>